Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Isaiah 52:13, going on to 53, verse 3. It's can be found on page 600 in your pew Bibles or 1146 in the large print. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and we thank you for the ways that you provide everything that we need. We thank you for your word that you have given to us, the ways that it reveals uh, who you are, who we are, much better than we could ever figure out on our own. But God, we also know that you have not given us your word to reveal who you are and reveal who we are just for the sake of information, but for transformation. God, that we would be transformed into people who are like your son. That we would be uh, transformed by your spirit to be your children. That we would be those who can call you Father and who can come to have a living, loving, trusting relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Isaiah 52, 13 to 53, 3. <clears throat> Several hundred years before Jesus was born, Isaiah writes, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Turning then to Hebrews. Chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Be found on page 970 in your pew Bibles or 1865 in large print. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our sermon text this morning is surprisingly, shockingly short. It is actually famously 
the shortest verse in the whole of the Bible? Two words. Jesus wept. You all know that, by the way, all you have to do is add uh, where that comes from, and then you can count that as a verse memorized. John 11.35, that's where it comes from. And it's important to know where it comes from. You laugh, but it's really important. Those two words by themselves make a whole verse, and an important verse, and a great verse, and one that's, I'm so glad that it's just those two words, so everybody has it memorized. But if we don't know where it comes from, we may not know what it means. John 11.35 comes at a particular place in a particular story. And it's when we read Jesus weeping at this particular place and at this particular time that we see Jesus weeping. And we don't just read ourselves into Jesus weeping. Does that make sense? If you just hear Jesus weeps, then you say, ah, right, so do I. He must do it just like I do. Jesus is like us, and yet he's very unlike us. And so, uh, as... We just read from Hebrews. He is like us in that he's tempted in every way. He's very unlike us in that he did not sin. And the same thing is true when he weeps. He weeps very much like us in some ways, but unlike us in others. So as we look at at the situation where Jesus is in this moment, here is the story. Jesus hears that his good friend, Lazarus, is sick. It's not that far away. Jesus could go, but he doesn't. He waits. And he actually tells his disciples he's waiting on purpose. And he does. He waits on purpose. And he tells his disciples, Lazarus is already dead. So they go, finally. And when he gets there, before he even enters the town of Bethany, Martha one of Lazarus' sisters, comes out to Jesus. And she says to him, Oh, where is it now? Verse 23. No, 21. I can't see in this light. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. What is the first thing he hears from her? Not, it's not, I'm glad to see you. It's the blaming. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You're the only one who could have stopped this. There's actually an element of faith in what she's saying, that she knows that he has powers to heal. But it only goes so far. And so, why in the world would he not have come sooner? Did he not care? Does he not love Lazarus? Does he not love Martha? <clears throat> Why didn't he come and keep this from happening? But she continues, But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And what he means and what she hears are very different. Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. 
I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, it's really easy to read this part. Jesus' response to Martha, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, I believe it. Even though I don't know what you're talking about, I still believe it. And then skip over what happens next and get to Jesus standing at the grave of Lazarus saying, come out. And the dead man came out. Wonderful sentence. It's easy to skip what happens next. Because what happens next is hard and it's confusing. And a lot of times when we face what's hard and confusing, we want to just skip it. But what happens next is difficult and it is painful. See, what happens next is Martha goes back home. Jesus still hasn't even entered the town of Bethany yet. Martha goes back home and she goes to marry her sister, Lazarus' sister. He's here. The teacher's here. And he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. So we have Mary and all those who were with her. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, see if this sounds familiar, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does that sound familiar? Are these twin sisters? (laughs) They just said the same thing to Jesus. They both have greeted him the same way. Which makes me wonder. It seems like Martha maybe could have given, given Mary the heads up when she came back and said, the teacher's asking for you. Oh, and by the way, he is the resurrection of life. Keep that in mind as you go and approach him. But no, there's no warning. There's no uh, heads up that way. And so Mary goes in and says the same thing to Jesus. Now, what has Jesus come to this town to do at this time? We already know. We've read the rest of the story. He's come to call Lazarus from death to life. That's why he's here. And yet the people that he meets first as he comes to do this both greet him, blaming him for not having done something else. Oh, that's hard. How often do our prayers sound just like Martha's and Mary's? Lord, why didn't you do it my way? That's what I wanted, and you didn't do it, and now it's too late, and there's nothing that can be done. I said earlier we were at the time of the worship service for confession. This may be another one of those times. (laughs) We confess the ways we have prayed more like Martha and Mary than prayers of actual faith and trust in God who can do more than we can even ask or imagine, as Paul tells us in Ephesians. And what Jesus does is more than Martha and Mary can imagine, but not yet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come along with her weeping are also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. 
Jesus wept. It's important that we hear these two words, Jesus wept, in the context of this story. Because we know what's going on here, and that can keep us from thinking he's weeping for reasons we sometimes weep. Jesus is weeping in the midst of others who are weeping, but not for the same reasons. They are weeping. They are weeping because they think the situation is hopeless. It's over. He's already died. There's nothing more that can be done. But that can't be why Jesus is weeping. Right? He knows there is more to be done, and he's actually on his way to do it. Where, where have you laid him? I'm going to go there right now. He can't be weeping because he thinks there's no hope. That's what Paul tells us, Thessalonians, when he says, we don't weep like those, or we don't grieve like those who have no hope, like the rest of mankind, as those who have no hope. We ought to be grieving like Jesus. The one who weeps in the midst of the circumstances, even though there's definitely hope. He knows what's coming next. So why is he weeping? combination of factors. But mainly this. Mainly in the midst of his combination, divine, human, God, and man, together in one person, he has an absolute compassion for the people who are weeping, and he weeps with them. And he also grieves that they are weeping as people who don't have hope when they are standing right in front of the one who's come to bring it. When they are facing Jesus, the one who is the resurrection and the life, the one who will overcome death itself, and they say to him, it's too late, it's hopeless. And that breaks his heart. And it ought to break ours too. As we look out at a world that, apart from Jesus, has no hope. And we say, but Jesus has come. And so we do have hope. And the things that we see in this world that we just say, it's, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. Admittedly. And we grieve those things. The way that sin has destroyed and distorted so many things in this world. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because we know that Jesus has come. And we know that in him there is still hope. And we know that there, that he is not done yet. And so while we might be tempted to pray and say, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. No. We have Jesus who weeps with us over the same things that we're weeping over, but he doesn't do it in the same way. He weeps over the brokenness of our world, over the heartache over the griefs and losses that we face, sometimes way more often than anybody should ever have to. He weeps with us over those same things, but he doesn't weep in the same way. Because he knows that whatever loss, whatever grief, whatever heartache, whatever pain, whatever suffering we're going through now, he knows it's not the end of the story. He knows that there is a resurrection just around the corner.
we're going to spend the next couple weeks as we approach the cross before Easter. Not skipping over the tears of Jesus. There are three times in the Bible it talks about uh, the tears of Jesus. This is one of those. It's the short one. We'll start here. But even though this may not um, be the thing that we think of first when we start thinking of approaching Easter, we want to just skip right to the resurrection. We're not going to. We're going to go through what's hard. We're going to go through what's difficult. We're going to go through what's confusing. But we're not going to go through it alone. One of the things that Paul tells us in writing uh, his letter to the Romans, when he gets to chapter 12, and you read chapter 12, and it's you know based on everything that came before, and this is what God has done for us in Jesus, therefore, chapter 12 starts, here's how you live. And one of the ways that it says that we live in this world as Christians, as those who are following Jesus, is we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we mourn with those who mourn. That we would never have to go through that alone. But I will tell you this. There are times when you want to weep alone, aren't there? We just want everybody to leave you alone and close the door and get away from it all and use up all the Kleenexes. And that's where this verse comes in again. Because we know that even in that moment, we are not alone. And that when we are using all the Kleenexes, ours aren't the only tears. And in that, we can find a comfort that is deeper and richer than any comfort the world has to offer. Any way of trying to escape from the pain and pretend it's not really there. But to go through it with the one who's gone through it before and can bring us through to the other side. Let us not be afraid of the tears of Jesus. Let them wash over us and redeem all our tears as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.